let's take up and read. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Join me briefly in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to close out this Lord's Day with worship. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of having your word, being able to read it, being able to hear it. And Lord, it is our desire that we would store it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, as we approach your your word here in Jude this evening, we pray that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit so that we might understand what is written and so that we might be moved to trust you more. And Lord, that we would live godly lives before your face. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's the common saying uh, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And that just goes to say that it's, it's good to know what's going to happen ahead of time before it occurs. And uh, an illustration of that can be found in the book of Genesis. If you recall with Joseph, Joseph is, is brought down, he's sold into slavery, and he finds himself in a prison. And uh, through God's providence, he's eventually brought before Pharaoh to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. And Joseph is able to tell Pharaoh, look, the, the seven, uh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And that enabled the, the people of God to, uh, rather the people of Egypt to prepare for the years of famine. And uh, through Joseph's interpretation of the dream and telling Pharaoh what was about to happen, Uh, Not only were the Egyptians saved, but also the the known world and the seed, uh, the godly seed. So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. As we've looked at the letter of Jude, we've seen that Jude is writing to Christians in the first century, that he's writing to Christians uh, who are in danger of being led astray by false teachers. We saw back in verse 3 that they were to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We saw in verse 4 that there are certain people who have crept in and who are designated for destruction. And when we looked at the the center of the letter, when we looked at verses 5 through 16, we saw that destruction is certain for these false teachers. Destruction is certain. There's no doubt about it. But now Jude is going to round out his letter. He's going to finish it up by telling the Christians 
how exactly they are to contend for the faith. How they're going to contend for the faith. And the, the doctrine that I want to put before us this evening is this. The Christian must expect false teaching and choose to build their lives upon the firm foundation of apostolic doctrine. The Christian must expect false teaching and choose to build their lives upon the firm foundation of apostolic doctrine. And we can divide these few verses into three different uh, sections. First, Jude is going to issue a command for the, the people of God to remember. That's in verses 17 to 19. Uh, Secondly, he will issue a command for the believers to build, that is, in verses 20 through 23. And then finally, in verses 24 and 25, we have the the famous doxology of of the letter of Jude. And so we'll look at each of those in turn. So first, the command to remember, verses 17 through 19. If you look down and see in your text, uh, Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is to show that uh, the audience that Jude is speaking to, they're, they're well aware of what Jude is about to say. Uh, they're, they're familiar with these words. They've heard them before. They've heard the apostles speak They've heard the predictions that have been uh, put before them. And we know that the the false teachers, they were those who rejected apostolic authority. They were those who were engaging in in sexual immorality and trying to to justify it uh, based on dreams or or so-called inspiration by the Spirit. And we know that they were divisive. They were divisive. And we, we see that the apostles predicted that in the last time there would be scoffers, there would be those who uh, follow their ungodly passions. Now this uh, doesn't appear to be any direct quotation from uh, any one of the New Testament letters, but rather simply a, a paraphrase of what was uh, well-known teaching from the apostles. If you recall in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, uh, Paul speaks with the Ephesian elders and he says, Know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. False teaching would come in. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, uh, Peter is writing to the, the Christians and he says, and, and states word, words very similar to what Jude says here. He says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That is in Second Peter 3, 3. This should not be a surprise for the Christians. If you've ever seen a, a really good mystery movie or a, a very good suspenseful movie, Uh, Every once in a while, you'll reach the end of the movie and you'll genuinely say, wow, I did not see that coming. That should not happen with false teaching. We we should not take a look at at the church and say, wow, I did not expect there to be false teachers. No, Jude and the apostles are very clear that is going to mark the last days. That is going to mark the last time. When he, when he does mention last time here in, in Jude in verse 18, 
It's very similar to when uh, Paul or Peter will speak of the last days. Uh, The last days are not necessarily a time of uh, quantity, but a time of quality. That is, as we sit here in redemptive history, after the cross, after the ascension, the, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the next major redemptive event to take place is Christ is going to return. We, we live in the last days. We live in the days where uh, all of redemptive history is wrapping up, if you will. So, spoiler alert, false teachers will be a part of the last days, part of this time. And so we need to make sure that we are not not at all surprised by the presence of false teachers. If we, if we look around uh, within the denomination, we, if we look around uh, the country and the world, and we see that there are pe- people who are teaching things that are absolutely contrary to the Scriptures, we ought to know that the apostles told us ahead of time. Now, this, these last days will certainly be a time of amazing flourishing of the gospel, but at the same time, they are indeed dangerous times. In verse 19, we read that these false teachers, they cause divisions. They're worldly people. They're devoid of the Spirit. And in a previous sermon, we mentioned that these false teachers, they may be relying upon uh, dreams, upon visions, perhaps even trying to say that uh, the, the Holy Spirit was giving me further revelation. And yet, Jude says here, nope, these people are, are devoid of the Spirit. They're, they're entirely devoid of the Spirit. These are not, not Christians. So how, how are Christians going to uh, fight against this? How are they going to remain firm in the midst of false teaching? Well, Jude tells us in our next section, verses 20 to 23, he gives a command to build He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. What is the most holy faith? It is the uh, apostolic teaching, apostolic doctrine that was once for all delivered to the saints. It is the content of our faith that does not change. It does not change. That is to be the foundation upon which these Christians in the community are to, to build up. That's the foundation. When I was in uh, high school, there was one particular summer that I was uh, given the opportunity to work construction. And, uh, and later on, I actually went to work concrete. Both of those were very difficult times for someone who has fair skin out in the hot summer. Uh, but when I was working concrete, we or working construction during high school, we were building a pole barn for some some farmer up in northern Illinois. And what we what we did was we first needed to have a, a good foundation for this pole barn. And so what we did was uh, dig very deep holes, about six to eight feet deep, and then we would take very large foundation stones. They were they were very large. Uh, circle, uh, round circle stones that were heavy and we would drop them into the hole and it would be the foundation upon which uh, the poles would set. And uh, as I think back, the first time we ever dropped one of those stones in, the two other gentlemen I was working with failed to tell me that the night before it had rained in those holes. 
And so when we dropped the stone in, I went to make sure it went down and the water came up. But apart from those foundation stones, the, the poles of the barn, eventually they would have become unstable and it would have endangered the entire pole barn. Jude is going out of his way to say, it's the most holy faith. It's the apostolic doctrine. That's the foundation. You put that down first. You don't put down the, the most recent discoveries in science, the most recent discoveries in medicine, those are all open to change, subject to change and correction. The Word of God is not. So the foundation is apostolic doctrine, the Word of God, Old and New Testaments. But then he, he lists three different ways in which we're, we're to build up. First, we are to be a people who are praying. It says praying in the Holy Spirit. And I know some people, when they approach a text like this, they'll, they'll say, oh, yes, this must be uh, some sort of second blessing where, you're, where you're, you're a spirit-filled Christian. And yet we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, where Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. All Christians have the Spirit. This is not uh, referring to some second blessing. But it is praying empowered by, directed by, guided by, the Holy Spirit. And um, there certainly is a connection between a, a church that is diligent in prayer and, and powerful preaching and godliness in the lives of the congregation. It is something that can only be achieved through, through prayer and God sending down His Spirit to be present. So praying in the Holy Spirit... Next, he says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And if you notice, we see in verse 21 that Jude says we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. If you scroll down to uh, chapter, verse 24, rather, it says that to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And so this is one of those instances in Scripture where we have both divine sovereignty and, and human responsibility. Uh, God will, will keep His people. God will make sure that His people uh, who have been given to Christ make it to the finish line. But at the same time, there, there must be an, an exertion on the, on the part of God's people. In John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus is able to say, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then issues a command, Abide in my love. How might we do that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And so we are to, to keep ourselves in the love of God through responding to the Word of God in faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. And then finally, he says that we are also to be those who are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the marks of the people of God is that they're not, they're not content with this life. They know there's more. They know that God has, has given them many great and mighty promises, and the, the prospect of the Lord returning, the knowledge that He's going to return, uh, drives them to be a people who live pure 
and godly lives. Uh, Paul says something very similar in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the great of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the waiting is to be a waiting that is marked by, by purity, a waiting that is, is marked by uh, renouncing ungodliness. So there are some words for how we are to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then secondly, we have in verses 22 and 23, Jude is going to highlight what happens when there are people within the covenant community professing believers who have been deceived by false teachers. How do we handle, how do we handle that? Well, Jude gives us three different categories of, of people. And uh, depending on, on your translation, if you have a I believe a, a King James, you might have a little bit different text. The, this is one of those places where uh, the manuscripts differ a little bit. But if you have the English Standard Version, you'll see that there are three different categories of, of individuals. First, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. This, this would be a reference to believers who have been deceived and they're just, just starting out. They're, they're just being, being sucked into false teaching and wondering, could that be true? Uh, I know that it doesn't uh, line up with what I've been taught by the church, but it sounds good. Could it perhaps be true? And Jude says, for those who are doubting, for those who are, are doubting and straying away from apostolic teaching, have mercy on them. Pray for them. Teach them. Call them back gently. Call them back gently to the truth. But then secondly, we've got a category of people who are a little bit further in in false teaching. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Snatching them out of the fire. Jude is likely thinking of one or two passages in the Old Testament that if his readers were, were well-versed in the Old Testament Scriptures, they would have picked up on. The first would be in Amos chapter 4, verse 11, where the Lord says, speaking of Israel, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. In its context, that is the Lord saying how he delivered his people Israel out of great danger. At the last minute, he, he snatched them out uh, like a brand plucked out of the burning. And then the second would be in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? The idea is that these Christians have been deceived to the point where they're, they're on the brink of a fire. They are on the brink of destruction. They are about to uh, destroy themselves and their faith. And Jude says we need to take a little bit more of an aggressive approach. Snatch them back. Pull them back. 
Treat it very seriously. Don't don't brush it aside and say that it's just a different interpretation. It's, It's striking at the vitals of true doctrine. And then finally, we have uh, a very serious situation in the latter half of verse 23. And it says, And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And the, the mercy here, it's, it's more of a, we're, we're showing mercy, we're showing pity, and we're, there's a little bit of distance. There's distance. In the other portions of Scripture, we find out that if someone continues in, in, in ongoing unrepentant sin and, and a brother comes to him and calls him to repent and he says no, and then there's witnesses brought and eventually they're brought before, uh, before the church, that is the elders, that they, they must be excommunicated if they're unwilling to repent of their sin. And that, that is for the, it's for the good of the church, for the purity of the church, but also for the good of the unrepentant sinner. That it would cause them to, to wake up, to, to realize where they are in their spiritual state. It is, the, <clears throat> it is the church declaring where the unbelieving and unrepentant sinner is already at. And um, <clears throat> of course, we would say this is not just... <clears throat> excuse me. This is never just one lone Christian excommunicating another Christian. It's always the, the church with the authority of the church that is power ministerial and declarative. So the, a warning that could be issued uh, to any of us, perhaps who are here this evening or listening on the live stream, that if you are engaging in, in unrepentant sin, if you are going and, and persisting headlong in something that contradicts uh, clear apostolic teaching, uh, know that your, your assurance, you, you do not have a right to your assurance if that is your course, that you will not repent of your sin, but rather you're holding on to the garment stained by the flesh. And then finally, Jude brings us to the, the doxology. It's been Noted by many that this is one of perhaps the most beautiful doxologies in the, in the scriptures. But we, we learn things about our Lord here. It says, first, not to the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. That God is indeed able to keep us from stumbling. That is such an encouragement for the people of God. That though you, be, though you be weak, though you struggle with sin, you know that when you are holding fast to Christ, you will not perish there. When you're holding fast to Christ and, and repenting of your sin, you will not perish there because He will keep you from stumbling. And then He can also present you blameless before the presence of His glory. Jude may be thinking about the, the Old Testament sacrifices that needed to be, to be blameless. And yet each of us knows that if we're ever going to be uh, presented as blameless before God, it is only because we will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Presented to his, in His presence with, with great joy. And then finally, to our only, our 
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We are to praise God that we're able to stand before him on the merits of another, Jesus Christ. We are to praise God that all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority belong to God because we know that He is good and He uses it for the good of His people and for His own glory. And so we do pray now that we would be those who live a life on the firm foundation of the Word, standing firm against the flaming darts of the evil one, knowing that Christ is able to keep us from stumbling. Amen.